Welcome to Table Talk with Toddy, a podcast for millennials designed to motivate, inspire, and educate you on what it really takes to live a real life on purpose. This isn't your typical podcast. You can count on me to keep it real, funky, and relatable here on Table Talk with Toddy. Hey guys, and welcome back to season two of the Table Talk with Tidy podcast. This is a surprise pop-up episode because I have an exclusive interview for you guys before we officially launch uh, episode number 14. So in episode 13 today, I have interviewed somebody really special in my life and somebody super influential and somebody who has played a really major role in the person that you guys have grown to know and love. And that is my mom, Cheryl S. Weston, who is the founder of Grace House Living Publications. And guys, she is the poster child for starting over, let me tell you. She started over three times um, and at a really late age in her life, which obviously brought her a lot of challenges and struggles and pain. And in this interview today, she is sharing for the first time exclusively here on my podcast her story from start to finish um, of how she's lost her home three times in four closure and her marriage has failed and um, as a minister how the church kind of shunned her and how she literally had to pack up her entire life and move and relocate three four hours away from her hometown to get away from um, you know that struggle and how it has really transformed her life and now she is she's running a publishing company and how she turned her pain into journaling and how it can help you guys as well so This is an exciting uh, episode, and I had to release it now um, before we officially launch season two. So, guys, buckle up, open your mind, open your heart, and just take in all of the knowledge and the wisdom that she shares in this podcast episode. So, guys, just keep listening and enjoy. So, today's guest is Cheryl S. Weston, who, as you guys probably already know, is my lovely mother. So, yes, she's the person who birthed me, and um, I thought she would be the perfect person to bring on for season two, episode 13, our first interview ever on the podcast. And I brought her on today for a couple of reasons. Um, First being that she is very inspirational she's very motivating and I thought what better way to kick off season two than to have her to come on and not only motivate and give us some words of encouragement but she has an amazing story that I don't believe enough people have heard yet so um welcome to the table talk with Toddy podcast mom aka Miss Cheryl S. Weston super excited to have you on today to share your story really and to um, give some people insight on who you are, how you got started, and all that good stuff. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, um, Natasha, for having me. Um, I am super excited that you chose me. Um, (laughs) I hope that I can inspire and encourage someone today. Um, again, I am Cheryl S. Weston, and right now I'm known as the Start Over Again poster child. And awesome. 
I came to share my story today. Awesome. So super excited again to have you. And I want to introduce you really quick for the guests who don't know who you are and kind of give them some insight on your background. But then I'm also going to, you know, of course, interview you and ask you um, some really deep questions, hopefully to get better understanding of how you got to where you are today. And we're going to definitely dig into that a little deeper. But for all of my listeners, Cheryl S. Weston is an author, she's a writer, she's a publisher, and she's the founder of Grace Us Living Publications, which is known out here in these streets as the new publication kid on the block. They have a completely different way of doing business because not only is this um, Cheryl's business, but this is also more of her ministry. So she writes and self-publishes for ministers, pastors, and leaders um, spiritually so that they can continue to uh, develop spiritual growth and development resources for um, their congregations and things of that nature. So super excited again to have her here. But the great thing about uh, my mom's story is that for many years before she uh, started Great Sons Living Publications, she really doubted her ability to write and publish. And it's one of those things that just never left her. Like, she's always just been super passionate. I remember when we were younger and in, like, the Girl Scouts, and she would write, like, all of these amazing curriculums, which at the time we didn't think it was that awesome. But um, she was always writing and coming up with ideas. And now that I'm an adult, I look back now and I kind of see me following, like, that same path. Um, just, you know, I'm a millennial, of course, so I do it a little different, but she's done everything that I'm trying to do now, which makes her even more awesome. So she wasn't always at that place. You know, for a long time, she doubted herself, and I think the older she got, um, you know, life just started to happen, which is why I really wanted her on the podcast, because today we're going to talk about the power of starting over, and when she calls herself the start over poster child, like, it's that's almost an understatement because we've had to start over so many times. You guys have heard me share different parts of that part of our story, but her story is a lot deeper and a lot more um, painful, I think, at her age. So I really wanted her to come on today because her story can relate to so many of you, and um, I'm just excited for her to share it. So we're going to go ahead and get started on it, and I want you to kind of give me some history on who you are and kind of kind of give me some background. Where did you grow up? Um, do you have any college experience? What were you doing before you started Grace Us Living Publication? Well, um, I was a wife, mother, Girl Scout leader. Um, I believe I did about everything. I was just a jack of all trades. I, I, just wore many different hats because my love and passion was always for my family and my church and my community. And I started out, I I didn't go to college right away out of high school because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I I didn't go back to college until I was 42 after I believed that God was calling me to leadership of the church. He was calling me to minister. And one of the requirements of the church for anyone who wanted to take a leadership role in ministry 
needed a college degree. So that was the um, push that I needed to go back to school, to college and get my bachelor degree. Well, my goal was to get it to obtain my bachelor degree by the time I got 50. But when I started Springfield College, uh, right before I was done, about to be done with the undergrad, they introduced a master's program that I, if I stayed in, I could get my master's in a little under three years. So I did that. So I really didn't go back to school, to college for my BA until I was 47 years old. So that's what really opened and enlightened and got me excited because the more I learned, it seems like it just opened up a whole nother life for me. So that's my education. Um, I was always a self-starter. I always loved helping people to understand scriptures, the church, because I grew up in a, in a culture, in a church, in a system that, you know, I went to Sunday school, I went to church, but I don't believe that I actually met the Lord Jesus Christ for myself until much later when I started digging into scriptures and when life started coming at me with all sorts of problems and issues and I needed answers. <laughs> so I think my relationship then um, got closer with God because I was always told that God was my answer and I could go to him and get my answer. So the more trials, tribulations, problems and issues that, that entered my life pushed me more to talk to God because the type of problems I was having, it just seems like no one was the source of the help that I needed but him. So in that, I started, I, my church attendance became regular. I started getting involved. And then I looked at my children because they were growing up, and I wanted them to be a part of so many different things like the Girl Scouts, the choir. So then me, myself, I volunteered a, for a lot of those things just basically to get them involved. And then I opened a daycare center. Uh, well, I started one at our local church, but the our requirements to open the center, the church, um, they didn't have the funds or the building wasn't appropriate to um, open it up for a much larger group, and my waiting list started growing. So that pushed me out to open my own. And it was like from there I just always loved helping uh, people to grow and develop. I liked, um, I love to help them understand scriptures and understand why we did certain things in church and just bringing more meaning to the scriptures and the purpose in which God has for us. I wanted to understand what I was doing why I was doing and how it was going to change and affect my life. So that gave me the energy and the drive to just keep digging and researching. And that's why I love research today because I have learned 
and grew, grown so much from simply researching. Cool, cool. So um, you said a lot there. So you pretty much gave us, um, I heard you say that you, you know, you were a wife and you had your family and you were really, you know, your family was really important to you. And I can remember growing up, you know, y'all, we were the kids that she would, we were like in senior year, barely <laughs> in senior year high school. And um, she would make sure we were picked up and dropped off. We didn't ride the school bus much because she really cared about family. But I also heard you mention a lot of things that you grew up with, like you mentioned systems like in the church, like, you know, pretty much in other words, like you grew up in a system and in an environment where everybody was just doing things just because, and they never really got the full understanding of why they were doing things and, you know, how their actions were, you know, causing positive influence in either the people in the church or in their families' lives. And I can just remember, you know, growing up and, you know, just watching some of the things that you used to do. Like I said, you were, you know, um, some being choir leader and, uh, and Girl Scout leader and young women, a virtue leader. I mean, you pretty much, you sound like you've always been really an entrepreneur. You just exercise more of those skills and habits in the church, um, which I think is pretty awesome. So um, I wanted to, to really ask you, like, okay, we kind of heard you say that you didn't really start understanding what you were learning and the system that you were brought up in. You didn't, like, really understand it until life started to happen to you. So I want you to take us there for a minute. Um, start telling us a little bit about what events, what one event or what series of events um, caused you to start to uh, build a closer relationship with God and what really allowed you to develop that skill that you had to get an understanding and also share that understanding with the people who you interacted with. So what what events took place in your life? Um, we're going to kind of get a little personal here. Sorry, that's what we do on this podcast. But mm -hmm. um, we want you to take us there. Take us through what events or what incident happened that um, really started, where you started to really see your life to transition? Well, um, money, the lack of money. Um, even though I was married and had children, and we 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 did well, but we always struggled with money. We always struggled. Um, and I, when I look back now, I think it's because I was always the type mother who I never wanted to be away from home during the hours my children were home. So basically I tried to arrange my life, my work schedule and everything that I was doing around their schedule, school hours. So therefore I wasn't able to get the types, type of jobs that would pay really well. And then my husband, he was military, but he got out the military, and he didn't have, you know, he couldn't, sometimes he couldn't find jobs, and, and he just had a hard time finding steady work. And when he did, you know, it just seems like something always happened negatively that kept us struggling financially. Even though I was, by this time, a minister, I was ordained, loved the Lord and in the church, I, we always struggled with money. And because we struggled with money, I believe that's why some of the hard life, some of the difficult, the uncomfortable things happened 
to us. I also think now, looking back, because a lot of times we don't really understand why and how some things happen in our life until time passed and we look back. This was during the time that my love for God was so great. And like I said earlier, I love learning. I wanted to know what faith was. I wanted to know just the meaning of all the different things that we were being told in church that we should believe in. So I do believe that some of our hardship came from me simply learning what faith really was. Because when I look back now, some of the things that I did when I said I was standing in faith, I just felt like I could have done more, that that wasn't what faith was. So the struggle with money, I believe, played a major part in me not, and also I didn't um, accept just anything. I didn't want my, I didn't want to be away from home during the hours that my children was there. I wanted to, to be there for them. And at that time, it was just very difficult for me to find the financial backing that allowed me to do, be with them and, and give them the things that they need and, you know, hold the full-time job. So that led to money struggles, money issues, the lack of money. And, and at one time, we lost our home because actually, I brand myself the starting over again poster child because this is actually my third time starting over. The first time was about 20 years ago. It seems like what I'm noticing is like every 10 years, I have to start over again. Something major happens in my life, and I have to start over again. And But what I realize now that starting over again is really a great benefit and a blessing from God because his love is so, his love for us is so immeasurable that he knew, he knows that we would need many, many opportunities to begin and to reconstruct our lives. That's just my interpretation of it. You know, when we think about it, is it is it not wonderful that he reminds us constantly of his mercy? His mercy, Scripture says his mercy is new every day. And I'm to the point in my life now that I really believe that. I really believe that starting over again is a chance for us to fix or improve certain areas of our lives. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So um, I heard you say you started over three times, and it seems like every 10 years you had to start over again. And I guess because we've started over so many times, it really doesn't seem like a 10-year stretch, but I guess it has really been every 10 years. And, you know, being with you, I think, more than anybody else, I think I've spent a great amount of years with you, even before Tyler was born. Um, we've, we've kind of been roommates for years, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I've been able to witness firsthand, you know, all of your transitions and even going back to when you started to get more involved in church and, um, 
you know, being a minister and getting ordained and all of that good stuff, it's amazing how when it seems like the higher in elevation you climb, like, you know, in other people's eyes, you are a minister, so your life should have just been all put together. But in all reality, you were struggling and nobody knew it until, like, the ish hit the fan, as we say it. Um, And I remember, you know, you know, our first transition that I think me and, you know, my sibling or my sister experienced was um, when, you know, we were, I think I had just graduated. I was in, in 12th grade and we came home and, you know, I don't remember which foreclosure that was. I think that was the first foreclosure where our house got um, foreclosed on. And I just remember pulling up and seeing, like, all these sheriff cars and police cars. Mm-hmm. And then you and Daddy were, like, in handcuffs. And it was just really, yep. like, it was terrifying. You know, a high school student, you know, not really, you know, you you and Daddy did a pretty good job of, you know, keeping the issues that we were having financially. You know, y'all did a pretty good job with, you know, allowing us to still live our lives as children. And so, you know, to see that, that's kind of where I feel like things really shifted. And that was like our first, you know, that button that says hit, that says this is over, start again. That was like the first time because I just remember we had to move in with, you know, our grandma and with your mom. And like, that's really when like, I feel like people started to like look down on us. And even though you were a minister, they started to kind of disqualify you and, because of what your personal life was, you know, looking like, right? So let me ask you this question. When you had to start over with those three times or at that time, those two times, do you think that there was anything that you could have done in your power to stop it? Or do you think that that's just kind of how life works, that sometimes when you, you know, when you've gone through a season, that that season just ends and that sometimes, you know, it's just time to start over? So do you think that there was something that you could have done differently? Um, You know, because I think, you know, our listeners, like, a lot of times when, you know, they have to start over, you know, that question always comes to mind, like, is there anything else that I can do? Or is this just the a part of the the map that God, you know, kind of laid out for my life? Is this all happening for a reason? So, and I know that question because I know when, you know, we've had to start over like this last time, that was a question that I think naturally comes to mind as humans. We always wonder, is there more that I could have done? Could I have done something differently? And then if you're not asking yourself that question, the people around you who don't really know the full depth of your story, they kind of they kind of ask those same questions. So do you think that there was anything that you could have done? Or do you think that whenever we're forced to start over in life, that that's just a part of God's plan? Well, I do believe that two things happen when you're forced to start over. And, I'm glad you brought up the force because earlier I thought about two things, you know, because we hear starting over again. But it's it's much easier, I think, when you choose to start over again. It's more difficult when you're forced to start over again. And I think these three times, when I was much younger, And, you know, you choose whether you want to start over again when you have less responsibilities and, you know, it's just you. You know, you pretty much choose when you want to start over. But the last three times, I was forced to start over again because three of the times, I was evicted from our house. 
we lost our home three times. And I think deep down, I wanted to hold on to that house so much because not just to have a house, but because the house meant so much to me because my mom gave us the property to build the house. But the last time I finally realized that I don't believe that God, as much as I wanted to hold on to this house, I couldn't hold on, I can't hold on to it any longer because I just don't believe with all the efforts, with everything that we did, three times, this house basically have had me in bondage. That's how I look at it now because I wanted it back. Every time I lost it, I thought I worked hard. I planned to get it back. And this last time, like I said, I know I'm to just let it go. Because actually, all these years, I'm not sure if I really wanted the house back for mama and my grandchildren, like I was telling myself, or I was ashamed that I had lost it. Because any time you are forced to start over, it's two things I think that, 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 that happens. One, you are ashamed. And the other thing is what you mentioned. You question yourself, is there anything that I could have done? Was I just lazy? Was I just, you know, shiftless? Well, that's what the people around me, and even though the people, my relatives and everybody knew me and knew that I'm not a lazy person, that I'm a go-get, that I'm not, they placed those stereotypes on me because this had never happened in the neighborhood before. So this made me look like a worthless, like a lazy, just just somebody who don't care. And right now, you know, you you would ask yourself, for people who don't know me, how in the world did she lose a house three the same house three times? Well, it happened. But before before I held on to wanting it so much, I kept going back. I kept keeping an eye out. I kept following it. I kept finding out who the owners was to keep up with it because I kept telling myself, asking God, I want my house back. I want my house back. But I'm just convinced now that after three times, I believe that I can hear God's voice. I believe that my relationship with God is intimate enough that I can hear his voice and I know that he loves me. I know that he wants the best for me and I know that it is time that I let it go. He knew I would never walk away from it. And a lot of times when we don't walk away from things and God knows just what we will do from what we won't do. He allows it to just disappear, to free me, to free my family from it. So I said all of that to say, this this time right now, I'm starting all over again. 
one year later, exactly one year earlier, you know, just let me give you a little bit of the story. Just just this past year. <sighs> Here I I began another starting over again, one year later. Exactly one year earlier, I felt a strong desire to move back home to my place. Ten years ago, keep in mind, I moved. Now, I'm, I hate to interrupt you, but Mount Pleasant, that's your hometown, right? Right. Okay. Right. Okay, 10 years ago, I moved and was living in Greenville, South Carolina. After the second start, that was the beginning of the second startle. Actually, now I'm here again in Greenville a year ago, a, a little over a year now, needing to choose and decide what would be best for me and my mama. <laughs> Simply speaking. Mama at the time was 86 years old and her health was declining. Um, several times a year, I would often pick her up and take her to Greenville with me, you know, to stay. One thing I noticed, though, that it seemed like she was happiest and healthier when she was with me. And I'm not just saying that because it's me. That's the truth. And don't get me wrong, my siblings, you know, they took good care of Mama. But I firmly believe that when God made parents, he gave them enough children to take care of each need that they would have. And I do believe that mama's children was, each of us were responsible for a specific area of need in her life. For me, I believe my area of care for her was spiritually and bodily. I believe I was her primary caregiver even before she got really down sick. I believe I was responsible to help her bathe, clothe. I had to clip her nails, broom her hair. And I do believe that her ability to move around continued to decrease during that time. I, I guess I was the youngest child and I had more energy than my other siblings, so I just think that I would always put her in the car, take her places with me, because I believe that I noticed that when I did that, it gave her, she was happier and she just get, got more energy. She liked wearing jeans clothes. She liked wearing the style clothes that I would buy for her rather than always the church had in the dresses. And it looks to me like she just got so much younger when I would, you know, put the jeans, pants, and jacket on her. She just loved it. But overall, my decision at the time to move back home was at a time in my life I was just getting back on my feet. I was just getting back on my feet, and I kind of knew that it would be a great financial strain to, you know, move back home. But to make a long story short, I made the decision and I moved back home within a couple months. But I intended to move back in Mama's house and live with her. About a week before we finally moved, I got a call from the owners of my house. 
you knew that was a boy, that was some great news. Right, yeah. I had prayed and hoped that one day I would get this house back. Well, finally, they gave me the opportunity. They offered me a deal that I couldn't refuse. We met. We discussed the term. I accepted. And I just figured my prayer was answered because here's the two things that I prayed for. I prayed for years that God would grant me the opportunity to get my house back that I had already lost two times before. And I also prayed that he would do it in a time frame while Mama still lives so she could see me back in my house. Because I could remember when I lost it, she was really heartbroken. I knew she was. When, when they called me and gave me the offer, that was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Well, I, I went home, took care of Mama, got consumed with her. After a few months being home, Mama had to have an emergency leg amputation. And that devastated us all because I knew the type of woman she was, always independent and active. I knew the loss of that limb, she would never be the same again. But I convinced myself that if I can just be consistent and take really good care of that wound in her leg and get her exercising, get her up. So I put all of my energy into getting her well because I knew if that wound could heal, they could fit her for an artificial leg and she could get back up and just be independent again. But deep down, I knew the type of woman she was that Actually, when that leg became amputated, I do believe she lost her will to live. So a few months later, Mama went on home to be with the Lord in May. And that was when I could concentrate. Now, during these months, I began getting threatening letters and phone calls from the owners of the house. Our arrangement was that I was supposed to get a mortgage by the end of the agreement term. But they told me that if I couldn't get it within that time frame, they would give me an extension of months. But they convinced me that this is your house. You'll never have to leave it again, and we're going to work it out with the mortgage. Well, I tried to negotiate, negotiate. We ended up leaving the house like two weeks before the agreement ended. So (laughs) here we was starting over again. And that's where I am right now. I'm five months into starting over again. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So take us back, because you kind of brought us up to current, but take us back to um, your second time starting over when you had to leave uh, Mount Pleasant, which is your hometown, and you had to go to Greenville, which is about a three to four hour drive, right? So (laughs) take us back to what series of events happened for that second time of you having to not just pick up and move to another city or another street down, but to pick up and move hours away from everything that you knew? Because, I mean, this was your first time leaving your hometown, right? Yeah. Well, that time, that was the second time. We lost the house, and we moved into my mom's house. That's when you talked about the policemen and, you know, all the – well, what happened there was 
before the, the eviction, after they served us the foreclosure papers, we hired an agency that helps to restore foreclosure. They would pay the back, the, the amount of money that you're a raised, you know, in the, in the, that you're behind in, they would catch it up and then you would in turn pay them back. Well, they did that. We got the paperwork back. We, you know, got the receipts. And, and we kept getting notices, but the agency told us not to worry about it, that it was fixed. Until that morning, the constable came. And I think me and my husband was so shocked. Instead of just leaving, we kind of told them that, no. And, and I tried to show them the paperwork that, you know, it's fixed as a mistake. But they didn't listen. And the constable called, started calling back up and policemen because we just didn't leave right away. We didn't try to fight them or we weren't. We just was kind of stuck in the house and was just in disbelief. And when he kept telling us to get out, get out, we just, I just couldn't, I just didn't feel this is my house, all my stuff in here. And so that's when all the policemen came and they handcuffed us, they arrested us and they put us in the car because I think we were just in shock because we knew that we had taken care of it. So why is all of this happening is going on in, in my mind? And my husband, he's upstairs. I think he's in shock. So that's where all the policemen and because, man, they called so much policemen. And, they, they, and actually, I think, I don't know why they call all the policemen, but... They never really even took us to jail. They took us right to the courthouse, and then they let us go, you know. They didn't even press really no charges against us. I think they knew we were just shocked. But it was so embarrassing. And then at this time, the young people in the community had just asked me to be their leader. And you could imagine all the policemen and the people walking by, the humiliation, and not only that, at this time, I was an ordained minister in my church. I was the greeter. I was the praise and worship leader. I was that the youth leader, the, the person that everybody came to, the younger people anyway. But, you know, they looked up at me. But the church leadership was just so brutal to me. Uh, my family members, a lot of them, were just so brutal to me. And then at the time, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she she came out of the closet. She was struggling with her sexuality, and I felt I needed to get her out of there because it was just attacks from everywhere. So that's when I decided I needed to move and just get away to get my youngest daughter out of there, and I just need to get out of there to start over again. And I can remember I had one car. Natasha was already in college there, and I planned out how I was going to leave. I really didn't even have a place to live. I told the family members that I asked. I told them I did, but I didn't. Because what I had already planned to do, I, Natasha and I talked, and I was going to come and live in her dorm until I was able to get up on my feet and to, you know, get a job. Now, the job, I was working for the lab core in Charleston, so I transferred and to the Greenville. So I had a job. I just had to 
drive almost two hours from where Natasha was to the job. But I packed everything in that little car that I had, and I got out of Charleston because I figured in order to start over again, I had to leave. So that's how I ended up in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, okay. So so now you kind of brought us all the way up to speed, which is absolutely crazy how sometimes, like when we hear people say starting over, you know, in our minds as humans, we think starting over in a new house or in a new apartment or getting a new haircut or a new car. Or, you know, some people say when you cut the hair off, that means you're serious about new beginnings. But in this case, you literally packed up and moved hours away because you knew in order for this second time to be different than the first time you had to start over, you had to make a serious, like a major life transition. I mean, we hear people say all the time, you know, in order for things to change, you've got to be willing to do things you've never done, right? To get things you've never had, you've got to do things that you've never done before. And, I mean, I think this is really a great example of it, and I think a lot of people can relate to it because there are so many people still, you know, maybe in their fifth or sixth time starting over again, but they have yet to make that major leap to really see a real transition. So you mentioned something that I want to touch on really quick. You mentioned it when, you know, Everything kind of started going downhill with the last foreclosure and then, um, you know, your daughter, you know, struggling with her sexuality. And you just, you knew you had to get far away in order to save not only, in this case, your children, but you had to make a conscious decision to make sure that this time was going to be different for you and your family. So you mentioned that you had a plan. Can you tell us, like, just some basic generic steps that you took to plan your journey to starting over again, you know, for somebody out there that may be kind of in this same boat, maybe not mirrored to what your story is, but you mentioned that you had a plan. Can you kind of give us just a couple of just generic steps that somebody can take to plan their journey if they, you know, look considering starting over again, whether it be by force or by choice? Well, when I moved to Greenville, I actually did plan that out. But sometimes things happen so quickly <laughs> until you, you you have to plan as you go, if that makes sense. But I did plan this Greenville move simply because, I, excuse me, I had a job already, and that was a good part of that starting over again because it would have even been worse if I didn't have the job. I probably would not have been able to move out of town. And then I take that back because at the time, you were living in Clemson. Um, yeah, you were living in Clemson. So Clemson is, is, you know, close to Greenville. So that was another plus. I had at least a room to stay in, to live in. But if I didn't have the job or the home, you know, the place to live, the planning would have been more difficult to do. But what I started doing with that planning, months before I moved, I started, I went on LabCorp website because LabCorp have facilities all over, the, you know, in every state and city. So I kept track of the job openings in the Greenville area 
the Clemson area. I kept track of that. And then I went on and applied for a transfer. That way, I could just literally, when I get there, I can start work again. And that's basically what I did. So that worked out for me. That's basically the only thing I I planned. Because, you know, planning, it sounds good when we say we plan, but sometimes when you're forced to start over again, you don't have time to plan. You just have to make the best. You have to pray, and you have to ask God to lead you, and it will be a, you will be amazed at how God will just open some doors. Because plan, even though planning is good and we encourage each other to plan, sometimes when you are forced to start over again, you don't have time to really plan. You have to plan as you go, and that's being honest. Yeah, one that's other, true. Yeah, one other thing, I, I hope I answered, you know, your question, though. Yeah, you did. Um, That kind of was going to bring me into the next question. You know, what kind of mindset does, quote, unquote, the start over post child, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to endure these types of experiences and, and transition through these challenging seasons? So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but if you'd like to elaborate on it. Yeah, um, like I said earlier, when you're forced to start over again, the, the the shame, that spirit of shame immediately it tries to attach itself to you. And then you wonder, what did I do wrong or what did I didn't do? You know, you, you, you put all the fault on yourself. You blame yourself. Blame and shame is the two major enemies, which it is good to take inventory and evaluate, you know, the steps are, could you have done something differently but to get a different outcome? That's healthy, that's good, and then that's bad. As long as you don't stay in the um, blame game, you know, we have to come out of it. Because even if you could have done something more, it's, you know, it comes a time where you have to snap out of it because you have to move forward. You can't stay there because if you stay there, if you stay in that blame for too long, you're delaying your starting over again. And the sooner you can muster up enough strength to move forward, the better your start over process, your reconstruction starts. And sometimes when you're forced to start over Sometimes, and, and I'll give you my example. Sometimes before I get out of bed in the morning, when you're in that reconstruction, reconstructing process, so many things are bombarding your mind even before you get out of bed. And that's why it's so important to have a prayer life, to open your mouth. And when I say prayer, it don't, don't be fancy. Just open your mouth and tell God, Share your feelings with God. Let God know that you are solely depending on him to give you the answers you need. You don't need to nothing spooky. You don't need to be deep. You just need to talk to him and let him know. Even though he knows you and he knows where you are, he just wants to know that we are depending on him 
to be the source to supply the resources that we need from day to day. Because when you are forced to start over again, sometimes you don't even have a dime in your pocket. But when you have that connection and that relationship with God, the Holy Spirit supplies you with the peace that you need. Now, you do get discouraged. You you do want to throw in the towel sometimes. Sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes you just don't. You think that God has forgotten you and why am I going through this? Just imagine losing the same house three times before I actually got it. You know, I need to let this go. Because I just don't believe that the loving, faithful God who loves me would allow me to keep going after this thing that I keep losing. Not because I'm not doing anything or the necessary things to keep it, but it's draining me of my energy. It's draining me of every penny that I have. I just don't believe, I believe when that happens, God will reveal to you, child, it's time to let it go. And we have to move on. So, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, sometimes, when we hold on to things, it can cause really more pain than just letting it go. Like, you know, with the house situation, like, you know, mm-hmm. who's to say had you let it go this after the second time and, and not even went back to it the third time? You know, you wouldn't be starting over again. You know, you, it goes back to, you know, you continue to question, like, what yeah. is supposed to happen? And, you know, even I'm only, what, 28 now? Gosh, I had to question my age for a second. But I'm only 28, but even, you know, some of the the challenges that I face, you know, I always, I don't think I do it as much as I used to, but, you know, you do always go back to that question, no matter how big or small, you know, the situation is, you always ask, like, could I have done something better? And I think that's one of the biggest forms of self-sabotage, and it does allow you to stay stuck and stagnant and not able to move forward because you're too busy looking back and questioning like what could have happened and I think I kind of developed this philosophy and I'll share it really quick um and my listeners they've heard me say it a million times you know life is a map and life is a GPS is already mapped out we just get up every day and turn down a different lane or a different street or get on a different highway how our lives are supposed to pan out is how it's going to be and I think sometimes we fight which street we fight we don't want to go down you know, hardship lane because, you know, highway freedom looks way better and we want to hire up and get there. So I think once I started to develop that type of philosophy, especially, you know, as many times as we had to start over, Lord, like once I started to really, you know, think in that perspective, it really mm-hmm. allowed me to really transition through like even this last time that we had to move and you know it really allowed me to transition through life a lot better now like you just said don't get me wrong as humans we got feelings so when things don't go right or when we are forced to have to move or um or start all over again or take a few steps back we naturally i think feel like you know we question ourselves and we feel like failures and and it you know it does for a while it does to stop us from moving forward but like you said you know it's okay and I think we need to allow ourselves time to go through the transition but I right. think it's important to never stop moving because of it I don't think we should ever get into a place where it just causes us to give up completely and to stop right. even if you want to feel like that you know 
Because I know I had my days. I mean, you see it firsthand. I had my days where I just kind of just don't want to be bothered or I just kind of want to just be in my pity party. But you can do that, but as long as you have the ability and the mental power to, you know, get back up and keep moving and try again and never quit. I think that's really one of the keys, the major keys in this interview, really, and just hearing, like, the depth of your story. So let's talk about, okay, now you moved to Greenville. You you know, your job has transferred you, and you're, you know, picking up the pieces now, and you're starting over. Tell us about, because I want to kind of transition this interview into, you know, where you are now, how you got into being an author, a writer, a publisher, and and how you got interested in, um, you know, writing and publishing. So now you're in Greenville, and you're you're really rebuilding your life. You start you're starting over. You've taken the steps that you needed to. You picked yourself up again. Now you're in this this new city, new people, new friends. Uh, not really a new job, but you're working with different people. Tell us about that part of your transition and how. Did you start your own writing empire in the midst of having to keep starting all over again? Well, I'm glad you asked because I was going to continue on that next. One of the great blessings, I see it as a blessing now, years ago when I first, I could remember the first time worrying, agonizing, over not over our the first time our home went into foreclosure, I could remember the pain, the agony, trying to figure out how to work it out, how to get the money, how to bring it up to 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 current. And I can remember, and and you know when I think about it, that house, <laughs> that house, worrying about that house was what push me to start journaling because I was taught that you're supposed to pray without ceasing, and I agree with that. But sometimes the pain is so deep. Sometimes the pain would get so deep I I couldn't pray with my mouth. So because I wanted to pray, I started buying these little black and white journal books, and I would just write. I felt so much gratification and relief when I would just write. I would just get the pen and just write whatever was going on, whatever I was feeling. Sometimes I used to end up writing 20, 30 pages, and a lot of it didn't make no sense when I read it later, but it just was my release from the pain and the agony and the suffering and the problems and the issues. I would just let it all out in those journals. And I didn't know what was the, you know, I didn't take it serious. I, you know, you listen to, I used to listen to Paul White, George Myers, and they always told you you're supposed to journal, and you're supposed to journal every day, and that's another thing. You, you will begin to develop your own way of, of spending time with God. But the journaling, I just kept. I just kept journaling, and I found out that that was a great release for me. That made me feel so much better when, you know, when I couldn't pray, when I couldn't, when I felt like I couldn't talk to God, and I just was so weak with pain and agony, 
but that journaling was was the key. And years went by, and, and not that I journaled every day. Sometimes I would journal once a month. Whenever pain came, now sometimes I used to get religious and say, "Oh, I'm a journal every day," and, but I never could stay on course. That's why I tell people now. Don't try to journal every day because I don't believe, I think that's just man's system that, that they think it looks good to say you journal every day because you don't ever journal every day. Not if you really be honest about it. But the journaling, the writing, the record my feelings, the put down the date and the time, I had mounds of journals. <laughs> but you know when I realized that something is with this writing and research and scripture and, and teaching women and teaching new members how to get to know God, you know, get a closer relationship with God. And I wasn't just saying that. I really wanted them to grow and develop because I didn't like some of the stuff that the church was doing with people. I, I just believed that they weren't teaching people what people needed to know. They didn't take the time to dissect. And the system just wasn't set out to teach people. A lot of things was happening in the church that people was faking it, but they really didn't understand why they were doing it. And I hated that. I, I do not like to do stuff and not know what sense it makes. You know, I, I just hated that. Because the Bible said, and all that getting, get understanding. So I really believe in that scripture. We will not get some things. We will not receive some blessings until we understand. And the thing we lack understanding in, that's the thing that we need to continue to grow in because we won't see the blessing until we understand. So understanding plays a big part. So the journal and the journal, I didn't understand. I started. I started a woman's prayer group simply because me and some married women, we would get together, a couple of us, and we would just cry and tell each other's problems and just, so finally we end up getting, putting together, started with just like the three of us, a woman's prayer group. And I started getting a desire to, to put together these white binders. I used to go to Staples when these white binders was on sale for like 99 cents and get a bunch of them. And I used to go on the Internet and pull out um, scriptures like what does faith mean and what does um, tithing mean and what the, all the things that's connected to our spiritual growth. I put it in a binder and put a pen and just made it comfortable, made it like a woman's sanctuary that, she can spend quiet time with God. Because I know when I wanted to spend quiet time with God, I didn't know what to do to do that. So this binder was a representation. That was your sanctuary. Everything you needed to spend time alone with God, I placed in that little 99-cent binder. And those women loved it. I end up in two years, given to the women, different women, whoever would come to my heart to give one. Over 300 women I gave that binder to, but I didn't have a clue that I had a gift in writing and publishing, not even for that. And then I started writing curriculums for my daycare center because the ones I bought, I had a Christian daycare center, and I wanted it set up 
to teach the biblical and the academic, but the ones that did that was so expensive. So I bought the little cheap ones. I went to the garage sale and bought the little um, curriculum books and got the basic and started putting my own curriculum together so that the biblical and the academic could connect. And I didn't know even then that I had the gift. I finally realized that I had the gift years later. But Grace Us Living Publications was birthed after sitting in church in Greenville and Apostle Sammy C. Smith, who was my pastor, he was preaching and teaching. And that's when the name of Grace Us Living Publication, because I had been taking notes for him for a long time, you know, uh, for months. And I started putting little things like their fast. I put it in a booklet so that people could learn. But a lot of times when people are not developed, they get offended um, and they fight at you. I understand all of that now, but that was all a part of the process. So Grace Us Living Publication was birthed while I was sitting in church taking notes from Apostle Sammy C. Smith. The scripture for Grace Us Living, Psalm 68 and 1, God gave us his word. Grace is the company that published it. That was the foundational scripture that I got, and I started putting publications. The first thing I did was a woman's devotional, and then I did a wild word for Apostle Smith, because sometimes he says just um, encouraging things that I grabbed and I put it in a booklet, and then the Ezra Fast that the church does every year, devotional of. I, those were the first things that I did with Grace Us Living Publications. And now I've done eight different publications for pastors, leaders, and others. I just finished my first children's series for my grandson, Tyler, called Tyler Car Adventure Series. And I have two new e-books coming out. Last year I did my branded book called Extra Extra, Write All About It, and that tells my journey as a writer and a publisher, my doubts, my fears, my journey, and everything that I went through, all the dream killers and everything that tried to stop me from birthing Grace Us Living Publications. Okay. All right. So, um, okay, so that tells us, you know, how you got the idea, which like I shared at the beginning, you know, you always created curriculums and you were always very passionate about not just hearing something, but studying it and really getting a full understanding of it, which I think is really important as entrepreneurs too and running a business because, you know, you can't really drive as an entrepreneur if you're not understanding what it is that you're doing and perfecting your craft really and continuing to learn as much as you can about it and so, you know, you mentioned that journaling was a great way for you to really, um, you know, get through the rough times, and I can relate to that because when I dropped out of school, you know, I didn't necessarily journal, but I definitely indulged in a lot of research and and becoming familiar with what my real dreams were at the time. And so, you know, for somebody my age, maybe a millennial, that may not be into writing with pen and paper, they may not be, you know, old school, you know, 
an example of journaling is also like we have smartphones, so voice memo. I've got a ton of voice memos. Like I used to journal a lot, but now I journal through voice memo because I'm a speaker, so it's just a lot more natural for me to talk out how I feel. So I use, you know, my voice memo. So far, if you're listening out there and you know you're maybe not a pen and paper type of person, you can journal so many ways, and voice memo is definitely one that I use a ton and it's also helped me in my speaking career and it, it allows me not just to practice but it also allows me to you know like you mentioned release when I'm you know going through pain and feeling like you know I'm suffocating or if I just mm. need to to get it out and you know sometimes you just need to get it out so okay so thanks for you know telling us how you started Grace Us Living and you know kind of really bringing us up to speed on you know, how you started that business. So quick question for you. Now, you shared how you were a minister. I can only imagine if you went through all that you went through in, what, the last maybe 20 years, 15, 15, 10 to 15 years, I can only imagine how many other, like, ministers and pastors who've got not similar stories but really in-depth stories like you just shared. I mean, it could be anything from infidelity to sex, um, sexuality, whatever. It could be something really deep, deep that could relate to other people. So tell me, why do you think, do you think, first of all, do you think that there are, because you started this business, so I can only imagine that, you know, the majority of your clients, they've got really powerful stories. Why do you think a lot of people, I'm not even just going to put this in the box for ministers, but why do you think a lot of people are afraid to put their stories into books and into, you know, publications? And why do you think it's super important for them to um, shine a light on what they've experienced? How do you think it will um, elevate them in their lives and in their ministries and in their journeys as entrepreneurs? Why do you think it's important? Why do you think people are afraid to share their stories in, like, books and workbooks and journals? And how do you – how does Great Us Living um, help to not convince them, but how do you shine a light and really um, influence them to do so? They – a lot of ministers, um, leaders, people, they have, they have great stories, but they're disqualifying themselves. In my book, Extra Extra, write all about it. First of all, they, now we see a lot of, a lot more authors. We see, we have a, we see a lot more people in our circle writing more books. You know, one time years ago to be an author, you know, we just did not see that much in our culture, in my culture. So they have, stories, but they're disqualifying themselves. They're either thinking that their story isn't good enough. They're thinking that they're not smart enough. Because the subtitle of my book, Extra Extra, write all about it. The subtitle is, you don't have to be a genius to write and publish your book. And in the book, I give my story of where I came from. Another thing that, that they disqualify themselves, they're listening to negative dream killers. They're listening to the people around them who don't have a dream but for writing and publishing or anything else for that matter. And a lot of times we do that. 
the circle or the people that we're around, we allow them to influence us and to abort our dream of writing and publishing. So those are our reasons right there. Now, that's what Grace Us Living, that's the mission of Grace Us Living, one of the missions of Grace Us Living Publication. We're the new kid on the block. But we're a business, but I'm also a ministry. I believe that my mandate is to provoke, is to challenge those leaders, the preachers, the teachers, the leaders, anyone who have a story, anyone who have a strong desire or dream of writing and publishing their story, they may have a message or a sermon, or perhaps there's just a simple life lesson that they have learned it could be the solution to someone's problem. And it's as simple as that. If you have done something, if you have facilitated a workshop, a class, or would simply like to share an idea, that's a book. <laughs> that's wow. a resource. Yes. So that's what I'm here to challenge. I'm here to challenge those to help them unleash the power in them to write and publish their story. I'm here to encourage them that they don't have to be a genius to do it either. And I'm here to challenge them to stop doubting themselves, stop making excuses and procrastinating. You can write and publish your book. The first thing you do and, and, and I, I started to say the first thing you do is pray, but you know what? Most people who have stories already know what it is. <laughs> they don't even have to pray about it. Me, myself, there's so much stories, and I, I do believe that everything that I go through in life, just starting over again for the third time, I have so many books. Just this morning, I got on. And wrote, I wrote a book today, an ebook today. I wrote an ebook yesterday. Just from the things that I'm going through. And the, the, you're writing these stories to be the answer to someone's problem. You are the solution. God placed us in the earth to be the solution to not only our problem, but the problems of others. And for pastors, ministers, leaders, and teachers, I do believe that the body of Christ develops more rapidly spiritually if pastors would stop being lazy and write their books. Wow. And, And I'm going to say this. The Sunday morning message, the Bible study notes, why not give your congregation a resource that comes from you and your teaching to study, take home and study, to go to the bookstore? Why don't get, why won't you give them the resource? Why won't you put some books in bookstores and Amazon so that your member, the same thing that you want, the same area you want them to grow and develop in, they can have, they can study it. You, do you know that the people that are assigned to your life would buy your resources, would prefer your stuff, being that you're the one that's feeding them? Spiritually, you're teaching you're teaching them on Sundays. You're teaching them in Bible study. 
why not give them the resource to take home and study it more rather than just giving them that hour message, that hour and a half Bible study lesson. But I believe, and I'm a preacher too, that we have gotten so lazy and we have gotten so involved in other things that we just give them that 30-minute sermon, that hour and a half Bible study, and send them on their way. And then we turn around and we demand or challenge them to read more. Hmm. So that's what brings us living is all about. Okay. So um, you said a lot. <laughs> you said a lot. So what I gathered from that is that, you know, for all, it goes back to self-sabotage. We talked about that earlier in the interview about how a lot of the reasons why we don't do a lot of things, rather it be writing or not, um, is, is self-sabotage. It's talking yourself out of something or saying you're not good enough, you don't have enough experience, you don't have enough education to do something. And I mean, I'm, I know firsthand that that is that's complete not true, not true, completely not true. And I know that because, like I said, I don't have a college degree yet. You know, I dropped out of school, and I wrote my first book when I was six months pregnant. And when, you know, Tyler was three months, it was published, and now I'm on book number three. And that's just been, what, three years ago altogether. So, you know, your story and, and me being a college dropout is enough proof that, you don't have to be a genius to write and publish. And I do think that a lot of our contribution to this world, you know, everybody screams that they want the world to be a better place. And, and with all the craziness that's going on, you know, I feel like the least we could do is open our mouths and share our stories. And even if you're not, you know, at a place yet where you are able to write, um, you know, start sharing your story because everything that we want to thrive in life is based off of, some type of emotional connection to somebody else. You know, rather we're selling a product or service or speaking to a crowd of people, you will never make a connection if it's not on an emotion. Most, everything we do is really based around emotion. And, right. you know, some are more in-depth than others, but I do think that, you know, the, a good starting point here would be, you know, starting to share your story and, you know, trying to get over that shame that you talked about. You know, that's just super important. So. We're going to kind of wrap it up now. Something that I'm trying to implement into this season of the podcast, you know, since I'm doing like a whole lot of guests, and I'm really doing guests to bring a different perspective to my listeners because most of you guys that are listening, you know, last season you heard more of me. You heard all of the episodes of me, obviously. And um, you heard a lot of my story, and you really got to get to know me. So now that you guys know me, it's important that I now give you a lot more in-depth value as far as bringing other stories in that can maybe closely relate to what you're experiencing and also give you some tangible tips that you could take away and, you know, really implement and hope to, you know, really affect your life in a positive way. So one thing that I want to kind of start doing is what I'm calling a real talk tip, since this is Table Talk with Tati. So I want to ask you, what is one, and, and the, the criteria here is it has to be the first thing that comes to mind. What is one real top tip that you can give anyone who is faced with having to start over today, right here, right now, first thing that comes to mind? What is one real top tip that you can give them? Never give up. Never give up. Okay. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, I do believe that also. In- We've heard this before, guys. You know, 
life is going to happen and life isn't going to get easier if you want to be honest about it. Life is never going to get easier. You know, there's a saying that says new levels, new devils. So as you grow, as you transition through life, there's always going to be something that's not going to go right or go the way that you want it to go. But always remember that philosophy that I talked about. You know, life is just a GPS. We just wake up every day and turn down that road. So rest in that and know that whatever lane you turn on, whether it's a bumpy one or a smooth one, is a part of the plan. And so, you know, never giving up. You'll never, you know, reach that destination if you don't, you know, if you keep giving up, you have to keep starting over again, right? So, you know, that's really a good tip to give, um, you know, for somebody just having to start over. You know, tomorrow is always a new day. And um, I think that's really what has gotten us through so much over these last 10 to 15 years. So um, one last question um, that I have for you um, is, what is one of your biggest challenges right now at this stage in you starting over? I know you say you're five months and starting over for the third time. So can you tell us or share with us what is one of the biggest things you are challenged with right now? My challenge is, is being consistent. Being consistent and, and to keep building whatever you're building, whatever your dream, whatever you're working on, whatever you're trying to um, go forward in, being consistent. Coming up with with a, a daily agenda and and writing down your ideas. In fact, not waiting till the day of, but doing it the night before. And that helps to keep me consistent. Now, I've done that, but I began, I, sometimes we just have to regroup when we get off track. And that's a big, that's a big struggle for me of being consistent and doing the things that is going to push my brand more out there so I can meet the needs of the people that I'm called to meet. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So consistency, I think, is something that a lot of people are struggling with, whether you're starting over or not. Uh, consistency is a, is one of life's biggest challenges because life, you know, everything that's happening around you could, um, you know, kind of blindside you or push you down a notch, a couple of notches. And, you know, when you're going through stuff, it's easy to – just lay down and let it let the storm roll over versus fighting the waves, fighting the you know the wind. It's it's harder to be consistent, and I know that firsthand. However, I have truly seen since this last time that I've had to start over, I've truly seen the result in me being consistent. Even when I'm like literally wiping the tears from my eyes before going live on Facebook, consistency. I've seen the the power in pushing through everything that seems to be challenging. And I always tell people, especially now with this wave of entrepreneurs, as long as you've got Wi-Fi, Internet, and a smartphone, there's no excuse for why you shouldn't be being consistent. And, yeah, that's easier said than done. But it brings me to my next point, and, um, you know, and I'm sure you was going to say this and how you plan to move forward. I think having a strong support system is crucial and critical. I mean, we hear it all the time, but a lot of people – we still don't have that strong support system. We still are side-eyeing the people who are interacting with everything. And I think that's one of the biggest downfalls when you are trying to be consistent is, you know, not having people that 
can see when you're having a bad day or when you're having a pity party or when you're wallowing in your own sorrow and they don't say, hey, wipe the tears and get up. You still got work to do. You know, I think that's a major, major mm-hmm. key in being consistent yeah. because everybody's entitled to have a couple of bad days every once in a while. That's life. But I think when you've got one or two or three people, however many you have, in your corner that knows your vision and they know what you're capable of doing, Mm -hmm. it's important that those people stay around you all the time because, you know, that's what's important. And I think that's why you and I do so well together and our relationship has grown a lot over the years, Um, you know, because through everything we've gone through, we've been able to give each other a chance to go through what we're going through. But then we also know the power in saying, okay, it's going to be okay. It's time to keep moving. We've got, we're on assignment. It's time to, to push out that idea. It's time to continue to motivate people. Like, it's important that we do that and kind of keep each other in line. And I think if you've got one or two people like that in your corner, then consistency is a challenge that anybody can overcome. So um, I'm thankful that you, you know, shared your story. Like, I mean, I'm really excited because I think this this is like the first time you've really shared your story publicly. Um, yes. You know, outside of your book. So I'm excited. And like I said at the beginning, the reason why I wanted you on here was because, you know, although the podcast typically has millennial listeners, I think this is a story that will motivate and inspire anybody because I think, you know, at your age, I don't know if you want to share how old you are, but at your age, to see how much you have accomplished and how much you have been knocked down and have been able to pick back up and keep writing and keep really influencing so many other people, that in itself is just complete motivation to me. And I think that by hearing your story, you know, this is something that anybody can take away from. So I wanted you on here first because we're, you know, fresh new year, you know, we're getting ready to go into a new month now, but it's still the beginning of a new year. And I think now a lot of people are struggling with moving forward and with everything going on in our government and our economy. A lot of people are not having the opportunity to start over by choice. More people are being forced to start over. Um, some situations worse than others. And so I wanted to do this first and foremost before we get into any other topics or interviews this season because I believe that your story is one, you know, obviously I knew the story, but I believe that those of you out there listening may be, you know, challenged with this or may have gone through this multiple times like uh, my mom has. And so I wanted to, you know, bring it to you guys here first. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I know at first you were kind of like, eh, but I'm <laughs> glad that you, um, you know, made the decision to do it. I think, you know, it's going to be really amazing to watch the response from this interview today. Okay, so now before we wrap things up, can you tell us how we can stay in contact with you to find out, you know, where you're going to be interviewed next or, you know, what's going on with Great South Living Publications. Can you tell us how to stay in contact with you? Well, you can visit my website, CherylSWeston.com. Get on my email list. Um, you can also find me on social media at Cheryl S. Weston. Um, also on Facebook, Cheryl S. Weston. Okay, perfect. So, guys, that wraps uh, episode number 13 with uh, Cheryl S. Weston from Grace Us Living Publications. Um, she kind of talked to us today about starting over and really gave us a really powerful story on how she started over and how she turned her pain and 
the things that she was experiencing through all three times that she had to start over. She shared with us how she turned her pain into journaling and how journaling has now allowed her to start her very own publishing powerhouse, Grace Us Living Publication. So thank you guys for listening to this interview. As always, remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, guys. Those reviews mean everything. So definitely leave a review and feel free to share this episode and this podcast with anybody that you know that may be looking for um, some motivation and some real talk as it pertains to life and also using our life experiences and turning them into lucrative opportunities such as starting businesses and being entrepreneurs. So I love you guys and thank you so much for hanging out with us for this last hour and a half and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.